You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast brought to you by Odyssey Sports and Sports Radio 94 WIP. I am Elliot Shore Parks here with the host, the Sixers beat writer you need, the guy that's going to educate us on what's going on with the team. Because, Kyle, to be honest, my last about 18 hours have been spent figuring out what exactly a shoulder sprain is, if a quarterback can throw the ball with a shoulder sprain. So it feels like when things are on the up for the Sixers, of course, there's trouble, uh, trouble in Eagles land. There can never be just relentless positivity in Philadelphia. No. There's always got to be a yin and yang in the universe. Well, you must be used to it on the Sixers beat because I feel like, obviously with Joel, you're dealing with a ton of trying to figure out what, a, what was it, a Jones fracture that he had in his foot or something like that. So the, There's the been 8,000 uh, injuries and scandals. And like, yes. look, we had a whole thing where we had to figure out whether the GM of the team was running burner accounts that were disparaging Joel Embiid and among yeah. other people and other issues with those burner accounts. So injuries are like pretty straightforward. I could talk to a doctor and that yeah. doctor will tell me, Hey, this is normally what happens or what's wrong and recovery timeline and all that. So I'm injuries to- are, I'm fine with injury. Yeah, that's your, that's your sweet spot. You're used to that. I'm trying to imagine how Philly would react to Howie Roseman having a burner account, taking shots at like Carson or Doug or whoever. I mean, obviously it was a huge deal in Sixers land, but just the idea of Howie like sitting up at the Novacare fake tweeting, it's almost too good to pass up. That must've been, I mean, we don't have to get into it obviously, but just that must've been insanity to, to go through when you went through that. Yeah, it's, it was something. It's, and the, like the funniest part with the Colangelo burner stuff is that, his statement when he left the team mm-hmm. was basically throwing his wife under the bus. Nice. <laughs> it's nice. like, bro, you're already losing your job. You might as well save the marriage at that yes. point. Like, with the, I get that he was upset with, you know, we don't have to get on that. Well, right. as two newly married men, I think uh, we even, we know maybe throwing the wife under the bus is not uh, not the right move, but all right, we've already gotten completely off track. Um, in Sixers land, this is the clap your hands podcast. We're here to talk about the Sixers, a Sixers team that, is now one, I believe it's what, five straight, five straight on the homestand. We said going into this that we thought it was a very important homestand, even just, you know, not only the standings, but they were going to have Joel, they were going to have Harden. You were seeing them play together, winnable games. Things certainly have broken their way a little bit. Obviously, the Warriors don't have Steph uh, or Draymond or Wiggins uh, in that game, so that breaks their way a little bit. Um, The Lakers win, not super impressive. But overall, this team has strung together some wins, Kyle, since the last time we talked, they're 2-0 beating uh, the Warriors, as I just mentioned. 
And then I don't know if you'd call it an impressive win over the Raptors uh, last night, but a win. I certainly would not call it an impressive. You would not call it that. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's dive into it because I think you could look at that and go. Joel had a, I believe he ended with 28. Uh, not a huge night for him, but still, you know, a decent night. Toby was good. They jump out to, you know, they're, they're leading. If I believe they were leading most of the game. Like, I thought it, a win's a win. Why didn't you come away from that impressed? Well, so th- there are two ideas there, right? Like, a win is a win. And they don't need to apologize for the fact that they've beat some bad teams or undermanned mm-hmm. teams recently, right? Like, the Golden State Warriors, they're, the Sixers have no control over Steph Curry being hurt any more than they had control over James Harden missing a month, Joel Embiid missing time, Tyrese Maxey being hurt, and the impact that has on their rotation. So in a long NBA season, you take the wins where you get them. You don't apologize for them. We don't have to make qualifiers about their record and all that. The Raptors game, though, was a little different in the sense that the the second half featured just some ridiculously stagnant offense after – Honestly, I think one of their, despite the fact that they missed a bunch of open threes, mostly Mm -hmm. DeAnthony Melton. Yes. I thought the first half was probably some of the best process they've had on offense all year. I thought they swung the ball quickly, decisively. They carved Toronto up. They only ended up being up by 11 points at halftime. But both sides of the ball, they're engaged. They're locked in. They're in sync together. And they just totally lost track of that. Now, I asked Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid both last night, you know, what happened there? And the answer from both of them was that they just they stopped getting stops. Mm-hmm. And because they weren't able to run and get into early offense and, you know, attack Toronto before they could get set, they said it got bogged down too much. But I do think there's more to it than that. Like, I, I put a lot of the blame for what went wrong in the second half on James Harden. I think he did not... I think he was so they were forcing switches and they got switches that were favorable for Joel Embiid had they gotten him the ball. But instead of getting Joel the ball late, there was a lot of James tries to attack attack OG Ananobi one on one. And that's not a great matchup. matchup. He's winning at this stage in his career. At least he didn't last night. Just so just a bad a lot of the same stuff we saw at the end of that Houston game, honestly, where and we piled on Doc Rivers and said, you know, this is a reflection of the coach and so on and so forth. But when it's the same guy doing it and it's the same guy playing the same style of basketball that he's played his whole career, you do have to hold James accountable for what he did in another game at the end of the game like he did against Toronto last night. So, you know, I think there's there were some issues there. I think ultimately you say there's good from Tobias. That first half as a team was great. You know, Joel, even though he had a bad night, I thought stayed engaged. He ultimately ends up with a 28-11-4, I believe, was the final line. Yeah. And for that to be like a quote-unquote bad night for Joel really shows you wh- how his game has evolved and you know how much better he is than even just a couple years ago. But no, certainly not. Like, we're not throwing a victory parade for that win. It's just one of those that you have to take the good with the bad and and just be happy with the victory, and that's about it. Well, so I was going to ask you about Joel, but I'm interested in what you something you said about Harden. Um, in the second half, you felt you weren't you weren't impressed with how he played. You look at the box score; I think he was one of six from three, so his shot wasn't really going. But it does seem you have not been super encouraged by what you've seen from Harden overall. Am I reading that right? Am I reading that wrong? 
I think like when when I when I look at Twitter, which can I know is not always certainly the best way to get a read on how all fans feel, but even WIP when callers call in and Twitter, it does feel people have been encouraged recently by Harden's play. Was it just the Raptors game for you, or are you seeing maybe some some long term signs of this guy's not not doing what the team needs? I think it's somewhere in the middle. Like I think he's had some very very good performances, and I think if you look at the offensive numbers since he's come back overall. I think he's doing what he was brought here to do, which is to you know do a little bit of everything, set the table for guys, and also you know take shots, which is something that the the guy he replaced would not do. Yeah, and so he's one. he's <laughs> he's helping the team get to where they need to go. And I I would say I also have been, I I certainly don't think he's been a great defender, but I think he's at least had some good stretches where he's active and he's closing out hard. And there's more of that than we saw earlier this season. I do so, think though, when you get to those, those like we've talked about it a little bit, Elliot, when you get in those final five minutes of the game, ultimately it's your stars who are carrying mm-hmm. you through. And so like, it's not going to be a lot of a oh, doc is drawing this elaborate set so they can get an open three for DeAnthony Melton. It's all right. What are your three to five go-to plays for your two best players and how do you iterate off of that? And so for them to get bogged down and, you know, slow and sluggish in these late game situations, now to their credit, they also made a comeback last night. And I I do think that that should be acknowledged as well. Like this is not all doom and gloom. That was a horrible game and all that. I think they, they dug deep and dug in on defense at the end of that game. They made Toronto work for every inch they got, you know, most of their scoring came through Pascal Siakam hitting a bunch of ridiculous shots over PJ Tucker. And that happens like that's, that's going to happen. But I do think that we need to laser in on James Harden and crunch time and how the offense is running, because ultimately that's the most important thing for him, right? Like we know he can pick up a bunch of assists in quarters one through three. He's going to hit some step back threes. But if he cannot deliver at the end of games, if him and Joel can't see these games out and Joel helped them see it out at the end of last night's game, then that's ultimately what's going to matter. Can they do it in the playoffs at the end of games? Elliot, I think you're on mute, bro. Wow. So I hit mute. I hit, <laughs> I hit mute so that, uh, cause I had to cough and I don't want to throw you off, but obviously not hitting the mute back was not a good call. But what I was going to say was, or what I was saying is you said that he's kind of been what they brought him in here to do. And you're right to an extent, he's been a better point guard. I think there's times where he does get guys for other shots, probably better than Ben did, if not, you know, roughly the same, at least there, there's things he does, but I look at last night's game and I look at are the game against the the Rockets, right? There have been in-game, end-of-game moments where that, to me, that's what they brought him in for. I get the rest of the game matters. And you want, if he plays well enough the first three quarters, you're not in a situation in the fourth quarter where you need him to be big. But I also know that what they really need, what this team needs more than anything, and you saw it against the Raptors, right? Uh, Harden comes up small. Uh, I believe it was the end of the fourth where he, uh, he you know, missed a shot. And then Embiid has a really bad out of... Um, out of a timeout possession where they give it to him at the perimeter. He tries to drive to the basket, kind of takes a fadeaway type jumper that just misses. To me, this team's biggest problem and what I thought Harden was going to change was 
they don't have somebody that in that final possession that they can truly count on to go to because as good as Embiid is, and he's been absolutely dominant recently, it's just tougher to give it to a center at the end of the game. It's tougher to get him in the spot, especially if there's only a few seconds left. I mean, the fact that they had to give that ball to Embiid where they gave it to, and the, look, he's he's a talented guy. So the fact it's even an option to give it him to him there is a credit to how versatile his game is and how much he can do. But ideally, you don't want a seven foot center dribbling at the basket with only a few seconds to go because we saw what happens. He didn't really get it done. So to me, Harden has not been what they've what they needed at all because he's not been a crunch time guy and we'll try to do a pod without bringing up last year's playoffs i don't know if it'll ever happen but last year again <laughs> a, a big example Embiid was was not 100 percent. you needed harden to be super special in those heat games and he came up really small in games five and six so i think there have been positives but i would disagree that he's been what they needed yeah I, like there's a middle ground i i do think that you can clearly see like he's helping them establish a pace without him running the ball up himself like their outlet mm -hmm. passes hit ahead plays where they're getting points without having to do basically any work and it's because he has the vision and the passing ability to hit a guy with like a, a 50 foot pass in stride boom possessions over or you put him in a pick and roll with joel and the, the floor shrinks and the defense is collapsing on the middle he's going to find whoever is open and then if a team is just leaving him open He's willing to take shots. Now, that was one thing I didn't like in the Toronto game is that I thought James probably had more driving lanes than his shot total suggested. Like, I thought he could yeah. attack the basket more, gotten to the free throw line more. I don't know whether that's just him focusing too hard on playmaking, if he's not as confident right now in his burst to get by guys. You know, I, I brought up the switches that they got where Joel's getting smaller guys on him, and that was – ultimately a positive for them if they had gone to him. I think there were some possessions where Harden had Fred Van Vliet on him, and instead of just attacking him, they went through a series of screens to get different matchups. If James Harden has Fred Van Vliet on him, and you're not just pummeling him in yeah. that matchup, I like I don't know what you're doing. Well, you think Harden both, can, though? But do you think he can? Oh, yeah. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, yes. Fred Van Vliet is just way too small to guard James right. Harden. Like that's it. That's a matchup. You should. I'm ha if that's your isolation, if that's who you're going at, that's great. But to go away from that and then end up isolating in the final eight seconds of the clock against a really good defender, a guy who's big athletic like Ananobi or Siakam or somebody like that, I don't understand what you're accomplishing there. And so I'd rather, you know, live up to the principles that James played under when he was coached by Mike D'Antoni, where it's, if you have a good matchup early, just exploit it. Don't worry about, you don't have to bleed the clock down. If you have the best opportunity you're going to get in the first five seconds of the shot clock, go at that guy. And well, so but I how think much some of that, that, how much of that do you think falls on, on doc though? To, Some of to, it, like to Doc get hard, be in, to make sure Harden gets that matchup and to make sure it's happening and, and that type of thing. Sure. But like last night, they just had it, and it's either James not recognizing it or it was too robotic of an approach that he's in front of you, like, okay, just go at that guy. No, I have to go through this play that we called. And you know, that's if it's a robotic mindset that he's in, that's not good. Mm. If it's Doc telling them that they have to absolutely run this play, regardless of the matchup, that's not good. I just tend to think it's James sort of losing sight of the, the bigger picture there. I don't want to be too harsh on him because, like I said, I do think that 
he has clearly raised the floor of the team since coming back. And I do think that, you know, he's creating easier looks for guys like PJ and DeAnthony and the role players like Tobias as well. They're getting a lot of quality looks because he's on the floor and that we're just not there previously, that the offense was way worse without him. But I do still worry, especially after we saw in the Lakers game as well, the type of meltdown they had there and the Houston game that I know we we ran it about for yes. about 45 straight minutes. It's been a while since I we just, had a game like that to rant about, though. That's a, Yeah, that's a I, I just want to see when they're in these late game situations that it's more than, hey, Joel or James has to win playing hero ball. Like, I, I want to see them actually executing and running plays. And to their credit, in the overtimes of the Lakers and Raptors games, they actually did that. I just don't know why they had to get to the point where they might lose in overtime to finally get back well, to running offense. Let me ask you this, because you probably watch more of the league than, than I do, especially dur- during football season. Um, how much of it around the league, though, is just other heroes are better at playing hero ball? Because I understand your point about getting them in good situations, but I also think we could point to Embiid and Harden as two players, and Embiid actually does have some decent crunch time numbers, but two players that have a checkered past at hero ball. So do you think... I keep to bring it back to Doc, but do you think this is on Doc for not having plays at the end of the game, or ultimately is this on Embiid and Harden for just not being good enough? And now they won the game, to be clear. So we're not trying to be too negative. Yeah. But there were those issues. What a negative podcast for a, know, a yeah. winning but, uh, winning but, streak. Yes, but there were those issues. There were, and they both came up small at the end. So I guess that would be my question is, do you see teams around the league just having better plays out of timeouts and stuff, or are their players just, just better at hero ball? No, I mean, Doc, actually, one of the things that is a legitimate strength of his is after timeout plays. Like, mm-hmm. generally, he usually, I don't know what the stats are this year, but usually he's one of the top coaches in the league or his teams are among the best teams out of timeouts in the league. So I don't think it's a situation where we can say they they just can't draw anything up. And I think ultimately the goal of any end game possession, you get the ball in the hands of your best players and they figure it out. Now. It, that should be the last minute, maybe yeah. two minutes. I'm okay with hero ball in those situations. When you're spending long stretches of the game where guys are just trying to do everything themselves, that's what you don't want. Like, I'm okay. You run a pick and roll, and Joel's getting a series of open jumpers from the free throw line, from the, the money spot that he's killed teams from all year. That's great. If you can get that early in the shot clock, that's awesome. If, if they double you, you get an open three for DeAnthony or PJ or Tobias or one of these guys in the corner. Great. It's when they're running down the clock and not really moving at all. Those are the possessions you have to eliminate. And I thought, honestly, like you and I are both not, Joel's got to get in the post and post up a hundred times people. Like that's not how I see the game. It's certainly not how uh, the NBA works anymore. But last night I think was an example of a time that they could have put him on the block basically every possession because Toronto was auto doubling him almost every time. And Joel, one of the things I thought he did do really well last night against Toronto is make the quick read, the quick pass, get the ball mm-hmm. out of there. And that was why the first half, they got so many open threes. And that wasn't Joel's ca- that just wasn't catching, throwing it's out of there. Yeah. And if the Anthony Melton doesn't shoot like, Oh, for a million in the first half from three, they might be up 20 to 25 points and it's a totally different game and Toronto just lays down and you don't get into those end game situations. So mm-hmm. I think one thing I would say is they just need to trust that 
I hate using the phrase to trust that process yeah. that got them there, that got them to that lead that's creating those good looks instead of thinking, no, we need to, we need to complicate things. We need to do something different. Just stick to what is clearly working and creating good shots and the results are going to come. So I agree with you on Embiid. I thought the way he passed the ball in the first half was really good. You wrote something in your article. I thought was a perfect way to describe it. There was a pass he had that was almost like him back playing volleyball. Just it was in, it was out. It was like, you know, one touch type of thing. And we've talked about this before that his turnovers are a major problem or ha have been certainly in the past. I haven't, I didn't look today. I'm curious if he's still averaging a career high in turnovers. I know he's been a little bit better with it, but I thought that that was really good. And just the fact that I think sometimes when Joel's passing the ball well, he seems much more engaged in the offense. I think when with the turnovers are an issue and he feels like he's not getting it, you can really see frustration on his face. The times where the ball's coming to him, he's making the right reads, he's getting it out quickly. I think you just see a much more engaged Joel when when he has that part of his game going. Yeah, and I think it brings the best out of everybody else too. Yeah. When you know somebody like Tobias, now Tobias has been great at just like when the shots are there, I'm taking them and embracing that role in a way that he never has in the past. But it is really difficult for guys to stay engaged, especially on defense, too. Like it all it's all interconnected. Like if you don't touch the ball, if I went and played a pickup game and I don't touch a ball on offense for mm -hmm. you know five minutes or whatever it is, I'm not going to be busting my butt on defense covering for guys who are just dominating the ball all game. Right. So I think it's really important that Joel is sharing the ball is looking for his teammates and like any guy's going to be okay. If Joel's one-on-one, -on -one, they know he's their best player. If he goes out there and attacks a one-on-one -on -one matchup, great. It's when he's trying to shoot over two and three guys that guys are going to get frustrated or the other side of that, if James is isolating and Joel's got a great matchup and James is just rocking back and forth, rocking back and forth, crossing guys over, 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 over. You have to recognize when your teammates have opportunities, when you should share the ball. And that's got to be, it has been more natural for them in general lately. I think some of that's just because James is back. Some of that is Joel embracing that playmaking role, but it, it's got to be a team directive. Like yeah. no guy, no guy's ever bigger than the team, regardless of what the talent and all that. Like you're going to win in the playoffs because there's just trust all throughout the roster that these guys know they're going to get open shots when they have them so they're getting the reps that you said they needed i agreed with it they weren't getting them earlier in the year one issue is maxi's not playing yet i don't know if there's an update on that yet if you've had a chance to see him around the practice facility if it looks like maybe he's going to be returning but they're playing pretty well without him um you know obviously five and oh uh so they're on this streak and melton despite the fact that he didn't shoot the ball well last night I think he's been pretty good. So you have it. You, uh, I asked you before the pod for a stat and you were going to tell me, but I wanted it live on air. I need the live reaction. Um, you know, how, just how much better have they been with Melton on the court? Okay. So the five man lineup, the start of the year starting lineup, and be right. Tucker, Harris, Maxi, Harden is plus 4.9 points per 100 possessions better than the opponent. So like that's five. about, that's like middle of the pack. It's like okay. better. They're five points better than the other team, which is good. But in terms of like all lineups in the league, it's about 53rd percentile. All right. If you just, and this is right around the same number of possessions. If you just swap Melton into Maxi's spot, 
They're beating teams by 23.3 <laughs> points per 100 possessions. Jesus. It's 94th percentile for every lineup in the league. Now, keep in mind, some of these lineups are like lineups that have played two possessions or two minutes or whatever together, and they're the 99th percent, whatever. Wow. So for them to have played over 200 possessions together, and they're that high up in the league, that the discrepancy is that large, it speaks a lot to how good they've been in general lately. And, you know, as much as we were saying they've had these crunch time issues and blah, 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 like this five man group has been absolutely killer. And I do think there's something to the idea of like DeAnthony is more along the lines of a PJ type player where they're, they're very different stylistically, but they're just defense first role players who are going to help cover up the weaknesses of the guys that they're playing next to. And I think DeAnthony covers up things for James in a way that Tyrese simply can't. And I know we talked about, you know, I'm I'm not an advocate for starting DeAnthony over Tyrese because I, I do think well, that's but pretty ignoring the ceiling you need to hit. Yeah. I mean, well, like I was going to say why. Will, I mean, the numbers, a, <laughs> the numbers. The numbers say what they say. But ultimately, right. the highest ceiling version of this team has Tyrese in the lineup. Like he's just a more dynamic offensive player by far than DeAnthony and certainly than PJ. And to me, if you want to get DeAnthony in the lineup and see something different, the card you pull is something that we've discussed already. It's sliding PJ out and trying this three guard thing and just saying, look, we can get by with a smaller group because DeAnthony is bigger than his height suggests. He's got a long wingspan. He's super active. You can see him going up over for boards against different guys that are much bigger than him. And that's what I would want to see. I don't think just because over 206 possessions, this group's been really good against bad teams or mostly bad teams or undermanned teams that you can all of a sudden say, yeah, Tyrese is the sixth man. They don't need him to be starter anymore but it is interesting it's something that you know if you're looking at a macro roster construction thing if a guy that's more of a defensive presence in the backcourt next to james makes that big of a difference over the long term then you have to start thinking about okay how do we adjust the the core structure of this team so that that is you know an all the time thing rather than a sometimes thing so I, I have a, a lot of thoughts on that. Um, you said a lot there. What, what I would start with is I think what that tells me is, you know, you said they have a higher ceiling with Tyrese on the floor. He's a better offensive player. And both those things might be true because I think Tyrese Maxey does have a higher ceiling in some ways than DeAnthony Melton. Obviously, he's an insane three-point shooter. He's way quicker, all those things. I do wonder if this goes back to what we were talking about with the two different windows, there's the Joel and Harden window and there's the Maxi window because Maxi, as much as I value him, I do. I do think he is incredibly high floor before this season started. I told some of my friends, I thought by the end of the year, he's the guy that I would want to have the ball in crunch time in the playoffs. So this is not really an anti Maxi take, but sometimes I look at Maxi and I wonder if his best role is as a six man, as a change of pace guy that can come in, that is just an explosive option off the bench that gets the change, you know, obviously comes in, like I said, change the pace. Whereas Melton might just be a better fit with for Joel and Harden at this point. You mentioned the defense next to Harden. I think that helps. Maxi, not a great defender, undersized at this point. So 
it's a tough balance for the team because you're right. I would not bring Maxi off the bench. He just, he's one of their best three players or at least three most important players. If you want to phrase it that way. And I don't think you can bring your third most important player off the bench. I mean, really only Miami, I guess does that with Tyler hero, but even he's, you know, starts occasionally, but I just don't know if you can actually bring Maxi off the bench. It, even though these numbers are extremely compelling. So would you then bench Tucker and put Maxi in there or, or what would, what would be your solution? Because those numbers can't be ignored. I know they're playing better. They're playing worse teams and they're playing better all, overall as a team, but plus 23 to plus five is, you know, that's not two or three points. That's like five times as good. So to me, I think one of the easy things to do is you could just say, the Anthony's your first guy off the bench. Tyrese gets the quick hook. And then you just you can get some natural minutes that way with that group, right? And you know, one of the things that I could I could use as a counter argument against starting DeAnthony in that spot is that if Tyrese is in DeAnthony's spot against Toronto and he gets all those open threes that DeAnthony got on Monday night, he's not going 0 for 7 or That's whatever Melton did. And that helps build a lead. Like just because DeAnthony is better at things that are more complementary on defense to James and the rest of that lineup does not mean that the best version of the team is just like, all right, how do you, how do you find the best complementary pieces? It, it might just be Tyrese has the highest ceiling. He's got the, the explosiveness that DeAnthony and PJ and you know other role players do not have. And maybe you just get the best possible offensive team and offense is how you're going to win a title. Like a, a team with James Harden is probably not going to win a title by being an absolutely elite defense. You might yeah, be very Max, good. And Maxi. Right. You might be very good just because Joel Embiid's on the team. I do think PJ and Tobias are good, you know, playoff type defenders, at least passable. In Tobias's case, he kind of swings back and forth depending on the game. Yeah. But as long as James is one of your foundational pieces, I don't believe you're going to be like a Detroit Pistons in 2004 type team. You are not going to win by just stopping the other team. You are going to have to score. And Tyrese just gives you more options to score on every single play in a variety of different ways. And so that to me is what you need to facilitate. You need to hit the absolute apex on offense for this team. You can't worry so much. You do have to worry about defense. Like defense matters. I I bang that drum all the time with prospects and players yeah. and free agents and whatever. But for this team, if you're looking at it from a, a neutral perspective, I just don't think you can say like that's their ticket to winning a finals is it has to be on offense. And so Tyrese is your path to getting there. I mean, you're preaching to the choir. I could care less about defense. So, the, you know, I'm, I'm down to just go complete bucket boy lineup all the way to the finals, take a bunch of threes, let Tyrese and Mel Melton throw it up. Like, I am all in on a three-guard lineup. I just I just think it's interesting that they've been so, so much better without him on the court, and maybe it's just a better complimentary piece. Now, how much longer do you think Tyrese is going to be out? I think the last time we talked about it, Doc had said to some version, to paraphrase, maybe another two weeks or something like that. How, how long do you think till he's back at this point? Any updates on that? Well, we haven't gotten any official updates. The team has been pretty mum on it. I think the closest we've come to a real update is uh, the GOAT uh, Woj saying yeah. on TV that it, the belief is he's still going to be back for Christmas. Now, I have not heard anything. I mean, Christmas is in five days. 
Right. I have not heard any sort of specific timeline or return date or any of that. And we've really seen no on-court work to suggest that, you know, this is an imminent return. But at the same time, all these games where it's every other day and they're not practicing, Tyrese could very well be in the gym today. We're not seeing it. And all of a sudden he gets a couple of days in a row together. He gets one practice in and he's ready to go. So I wish I had a better answer and a, a firm timeline for him. I would hope that he's back within the next week, week and a half or so, but, uh, who knows? I thought he was going to be back already. So Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it works when he does come back. And that would be my one worry. You know, I think I asked you this at the beginning, or at least we talked about it briefly. Is this 5-0 and stretch? Is it um, is it a mirage? Is it whatever? I think until you have Maxi there, wins matter at this point. They just flat out do. Like, you're just stacking wins. We've said it before. If we're going to, you know, criticize them for being in the standings because uh, of losses, I think wins matter just as much and and talking about getting good playoff positioning, but until you have Maxi there, until you're seeing the core players work together, I think it's fair to have some skepticism on how it will work when they come back. But one player that has been outstanding dropped kind of an all time quote, at least for him uh, has a great game against the Raptors. He says, I believe this was to NBC sports, tell a friend to tell a friend. I'm a sharp shooter. Toby feeling himself a little bit after his big game against the Raptors. He's been outstanding this year. Uh, you have 17 points. Um, he's shooting 42% from three on five and a half attempts, which is pretty insane for him considering when they got hard and we wondered if he'd even be willing to shoot the three. Am I crazy to think maybe they forget trading him? Like maybe this is a guy they're going to end up re-signing. Obviously not on a max, but he's proven to be a good complimentary piece. He's a good leader. Um, I think he fits both windows in a way in terms of Joel Harden and then Maxi. I know he's not a young player, but I think he's a good complimentary guy. Like, what what are you seeing from him recently? And does this feel like they've now have a, a good, a really good player in Toby? I just, I mean, this is a big reason why I've tried to, I've shot down or downplayed rumors involving Tobias. It's like he has been the guy they needed him to be for the last few years. He's doing the things that everyone wanted him to do. They said he doesn't shoot quickly enough. Well, his release is quicker than ever. Less time on ball than ever. He's getting to spots. He's running the floor. He's filling lanes. He's a versatile defender. He's he is doing what you would want someone to do if they traded for some guy that's supposed to be like, oh, this guy ties together the lineup. He's not a like the contract is what it is. Yep. But at this point, it's it it almost is irrelevant because he is doing exactly what they need when the starters are healthy. And when Joel or James or Tyrese, sometimes all three have been out of the lineup, I think you've seen him step up a lot too. Like he slid back into that on ball, creative, I'm going to take more pull-up jumpers, go down to the mid post, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So I think the fact that he's been able to essentially toggle between those styles and succeed in both and help be a winning piece in both. And speaking of the lineup numbers we were getting into – the lineup numbers for Joel and James go way up just be, just by having Tobias on the floor because he's been he's been exactly what they need. He's he's doing uh, like it's hard to wrap my mind around the fact that Tobias is now this quick trigger catch and shoot guy. It, it just like was not mentally where he was. His mechanics are better. He spent all offseason working on it, and it's one of those things that guys says on media day like, yeah, I spent all this time 
trying to hone in on this, knowing yeah. this is what I need to do. But it's media day. It's like saying I gained 15 pounds of muscle or whatever it is. It's like, like everyone's in the best shape of their life in training camp. It's yeah. Exactly. So to see him put those words and his claims onto the floor and to be an impactful piece of this team has been has been really great. And you add that on top of, you know, all the the off court, the locker room presence, the steady voice that he is for that team. I, I think the team has to be absolutely thrilled with him. I think if you ask people around the team, they've been super happy with him. So he has been a, I don't know if I go so far as to call him a difference maker, but you know, anybody who's shooting 42% from three on good volume yeah, and doing other stuff on top of that is, you know, a really positive player for your basketball team. So here's why I would trade him for Zach Levine. No. <laughs> No, we will get into. You're that. just you were waiting all podcast. Yeah, to yeah. I was like, let's do. Yeah, we made it this far into it. No, um, I agree with a lot of uh, basically everything you said about him. I think you could almost make the argument that Embiid didn't have that kind of historic stretch. He's been their best player this year. Maybe they're arguably their most consistent player this year, considering Joel's had some downtime to start the year. So I agree with everything you're you're saying. But the reality is the reality, and he makes thirty seven million dollars, which means he is. You know, I know the contract is what it is when judging him, but what it means is if they're going to trade for another legit piece, it is going to be involving Toby. You're not going to piece together enough contracts, even if you include Maxi. They just don't have enough bodies to get to, you know, $25 million in cap space unless you were to do like Maxi, uh, Tucker, Thibel, Ferk, even and Melton, I guess, at $8 million, you could get there, but now you're talking five really important pieces or at least three or four important pieces for one. So when whenever there's a star available, we know how much Daryl Morey loves stars. Toby's the one that's going to get attached to the trade rumor just because of what he makes. So the latest one's out there, and it doesn't involve the Sixers, but it doesn't need to for me to be in on it. Um, Chicago <laughs> Bulls and, and star Zach Levine not seeing eye to eye. Um, you know, obviously that leads to speculation there could be a trade. Let me say this. I have been a big Zach Levine guy for a while. I've always loved his game. He's a bucket boy to me. He's a guy that I would give it to in crunch time. I think he would address the problem that they have, which is right now they don't have a single person on the roster that if I, that I would really trust with the ball in crunch time. And I know he might not be the player in beat is, but I know he's a perimeter guy that has been decent shooting threes. He's younger than Harden. He's bigger than Maxi. He's a legit like wing size guy. If you could get Toby for him, if, if they were willing to do it, if Toby for, for uh, Zach, I would do it in an absolute heartbeat. This is probably going to be a hot take. I would not would okay. not trade Tobias for him straight up. Like, Why? I, I, Why? Why? For this version of the Sixers, I don't think Zach Levine fixes any problems, and I don't think that he really changes anything other than making their defense worse. Well, what, like, what, I, what, what do you mean he doesn't fix any of their problems? He's someone that can shoot a three that has good size for the uh, – he's a, he's a wing – attacking guard like, he's I, a skinny dude he's a skinny well, he's, tall right. guard basically right. my he, eyes tell me he's big but i'm also i'm looking he's six five i mean that's not you know it's what's tyrese like he's bigger than tyrese he's bigger than tyrese and he's having and guys go more athletic him than just like just like tyrese like he is a horrible horrible defensive player on multiple fronts you just like, guys will go through him yeah <laughs> They're not going to win. Listen, Zach Levine on the version of this team that has Ben Simmons instead of James Harden, I have interest in that guy because that's a situation where you need somebody who's just sort of the reckless, more on the reckless gunner side of things. 
that you can give him the ball. You can put him in actions with Joel. Like he certainly would, has would, a would lot trade, of offensive. Would you, Toby, would you trade Toby and Harden for uh, Zach and Ben? No, because I don't want to deal with Ben. <laughs> you don't want to deal with Ben again. Like, Fair I, I just I can't I can't go through the Ben Simmons experience again. Like I I just don't think that somebody who I know that I was talking about the offensive ceiling earlier, but you can't chase offensive ceiling and just totally ignore everything else. Like I I just think but you have, Zach you Levine have, you is Embiid. You have Melton. I don't know. I mean, this team's biggest problem is they have no crunch time guy. And I Zach seems to fit that way better. Do you do you agree with if that? If Zach Levine was a crunch time guy, his team wouldn't suck ass. Well, he's like, got they, bad teams got bad players around him too. It's not like Embiid's teams have been. I know they had high seeds, but they get dipped in the second round every year too. I mean, what what are what are you know Embiid's teams really accomplishing? Listen, they've accomplished a lot more than Zach Levine's team. So put it that they way. Have, I, I think he I think he's I wouldn't say he's totally an empty calories player, but there's, there's definitely some of that. I don't, I don't like a lot of the, just the vibes there. I think he's not, can, not, you know, vi- like, not a big Zach Levine vibe not guy. A good I mean, vi- like when he is good, he looks really good, but yes. there are a lot of just like, I don't know, six for 20. He had a sick dunk and was dog shit the rest of the game. Sounds I, like I just, my kind of guy to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah. I don't like this type of player. And so I was also going to say with, so last year there were a lot of talks about like, Oh, they should trade Tobias for, you know, like Harrison Barnes and buddy healed. And I think trades like that have basically like, those should basically be off the table at this point. I think turning Tobias into multiple role players doesn't really do anything for this team. Because the thought that. at the t- the thought at the time was all right if Tobias is not going to fill the role of catch and shoot guy spot up guy versatile offensive player they needed him to then turning him into guys who will that makes sense but if you can get a guy on your team like Tobias right now where he can carry you on a on a night where you're undermanned against some bad teams and and get you a win maybe you don't deserve he'll fill he'll be this guy that we've talked about that he's a quick trigger shooter, high efficiency, gets along with everybody, ties people together. Like you're not going to get that package in a combination of two worst players. You're not Mm -hmm. going to be better. And you're also, if you're getting two worst players, one of them is probably not even playing in the moments that matter, right? Like ultimately the guys who matter are the five guys who are playing five or six guys who are playing heavy minutes in a playoff game. You can play Tobias 38, 40 minutes in a game, and you're getting competent, even good or very good two-way play from him. Now, there Mm -hmm. are going to be matchups where he's not as good. He's going to have his off-shooting nights. But I would rather, if I'm running a team, I would rather keep the guy that he has been this year than trade him for some, like, Zach Levine type guy or a combination of role players. If they could trade him in a package for a real star, like a two-way guy, awesome. Do that. Like a, a third star type player. But anything else is like at this point, you're just doing it because the perception of his contract has been so bad for so long that you're ignoring what he's actually doing on the floor this year. So I agree with you that trading Toby just to trade him is we're past that point. It's not like package picks with Toby to get rid of his contract, especially yeah. when even if he wasn't playing better, which he is, 
but he is soon going to be an expiring, which holds a lot of value as well. So there is that value when you trade him. And you're right that if you trade him for three role players, maybe now maybe there's value in that it helps you get a higher seed because, or, you know, higher playoff seeding because throughout the year you're slightly deeper. Maybe there's that. But come playoff time, they're, they're not all going to be on the floor. My argument for trading him for a Zach Levine type of player, and you're right, there are definitely players I would prefer over Zach. I'm sure we could go through a list and we would both agree on, on, on a bunch of them. But, it, but if Zach is the option, my argument would be his ceiling is higher. And I think that this team is in a position where it almost has to take some risks because ultimately it will come down to Embiid and Harden. But I think we would agree it can't come down to Toby. I could see a world where two or three playoff games, Zach Levine could win it for you with a hot hand. I don't think Toby could do that. Now, you're right that maybe in other games he hurts you, but at least you have him beat and hard in there. I just think my priority would be getting as many guys that I think could win me a playoff game. Like, you know, you use the term big three, uh, big three often in the NBA. What that really is, is you have three guys that could win you a game. That if the other two are off, that third guy can carry you. And Toby has been almost to a degree that to a certain extent, but he's not that still. And so while Zach does have flaws in his game and you know, if you're, you know, you're saying he's a terrible defender, I, I won't completely poo poo that even though I don't care about defense, but I will acknowledge, you know, that that's a big deal. But regardless, I think Zach has, he's just more likely to carry you to a, a win in a big game point blank period. So I'll take more of those guys than worrying about, you know, how they fit in with Joel and Harden. Well, so here's what I would say. Despite the fact that the Bulls are a mess, I don't think they're not doing a straight up trade there. It would be like the Sixers would have to send more stuff. And that's like how much more valuable stuff. They really only have Maxi. I mean, right. And that so, and that was the other thing I was going to get into. Like, let's just say there's a theoretical universe where the Bulls say, we'll do it straight up just because. They just signed Levine to this $215 million contract in the offseason. Right. They're having second, they're having regrets. And let's just say for the sake of argument, they would do Toby for Levine. Yeah, just to get in out that of that. Yeah. In that instance, Maxi's value to your team goes way down because there's not a chance in hell they're gonna play a hardened Levine Maxi lineup. Like that just does not in work on time, basically at any level. And so in that case, you're much better off saying, how do we trade Tobias and Tyrese at the same time and get a better player than Zach Levine? Like, that's the question you would ask at that point. So that's like, it just, it doesn't make sense on basically any level to me. Like the basketball well, part doesn't make sense. The The use of your resources there is just, you go totally off the rails. Like once you look at it from, how does this impact the on-the-floor product and the roster and all that? Because once Tobias is gone, you then don't have a contract to trade with Tyrese to get a big-time guy that you would want. Well, like, there's no Levine, avenue. I know he to, doesn't have as much value, but you would have Levine. I I guess I I'm just I'm not super enamored with him. I I think he's a good player. I don't know that he's a type of guy that I think he'd have to be pretty low in the pecking order, relatively speaking. Now he'd be the third guy in this theoretical, but I just, well, I just I don't a, a couple of things. One, I think Levine and Maxi get you whoever Toby and Maxi would, unless that team just doesn't want to take his contract. I mean, that could be part of it, but I think in terms of just two for two, I think, or two for one in this case, if it's a star that probably does it, but, and I'll keep coming back to what you said. Cause I believe it as well. And maybe I'm 
overemphasizing what you meant, but this team's not going to win with defense. Now I know there's a difference between having a defense that's a six and a defense that's a three. Like I, I get that, but are they a better offensive team in your mind with Zach Levine or Toby? I, I, I don't know. I'd like, I genuinely think it might be with Tobias and, okay. and I know well, that will sound, I know, well, let's just, for the sake of argument, let's pull up Zach Levine's stats right now. So I was trying and, to pull him up, pull him up as well without making it obvious, but I'll, so I'll... Zach Levine is shooting 36 and a half percent from three he's on two more attempts for what it's worth on, on two, two more attempts. He's yeah. scoring about 22 a game. And I am for what it's worth. Let's look at his last numbers. Last year, he thought he thought blah, 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 shot 39% pretty much on seven attempts. He was 41% on eight attempts, 38% the year before. He's definitely a better three-point shooter than Toby is. I don't know. As in the role that they need. Yes, he's had seasons of 40 plus percent, or at least on, on seven or eight attempts. Not on the same volume, but also Zach okay. Levine's not getting the same volume here. And that's sort of the point is like. Zach Levine puts up good numbers on a team where he can play himself into a rhythm basically whenever he wants. It's him, DeMar DeRozan, and everybody else. Everything flows through him. Mm-hmm. Him having to play on a team where, one, they're actually aspiring to win something instead of just trying to make the playoffs or whatever like the Bulls are. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I've ever seen like a Zach Levine is like a a buckle down and do the little things type player. Like, I just don't think. Well, maybe he needs a change of scenery. And maybe, but I, I would not be, I would not want to be the team that's betting on that essentially. Yeah. And I think this also in a way ultimately comes down just to Embiid and Harden, because what I'm saying, what, what really is at the root and like the, the core of what I'm saying is I don't entrust, I don't trust Embiid and Harden. So I'll take somebody that who has also never done shit in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, no, fine. that's fair. That's <laughs> definitely a fair counterpoint. I just mean, I at the end of the day, if I had to win a game and you had to say you had the same other four players, who do you want as your best player? I would take Zach Levine over Toby because I think he's more likely to carry your team to a win. Now, if your point is how does he's not going to get the volume with Embiid and Harden and all those things, I think that's a fair point. But just the, the core of mine is. I'm just going to get as many good, get the best players I can and figure it out, or at least let, let one of them get hot that night. But you're right that it probably, they probably wouldn't do it for Toby because they don't have enough picks to trade as well. So, and you're not going to include Maxi to do it, obviously. No, like, and that's, that's where it starts and ends for me. It's like, there's no, the Bulls aren't going to do it. And also, I don't know that it even makes you a more viable championship team. Like we can go back and forth on that. Right. It just, I am not pushing in the maxi chip unless I feel like as a, a person running a team, I'm getting like a bona fide ass kicking star. And Would I don't think that's Lillard? Zach Levine. Is that curiosity? Would you do it for Lillard? I don't honestly, that's a good question. Cause I haven't watched Portland much this year and he dealt with the injury last year. And yeah, you no, know, it's just like a weird small guards scare the, the hell out of me. Well, him and Harden like, are a weird mix too. Yeah, and that's another one. Like, it, it, they almost they need the type of player that everybody wants, which is a scoring wing, and they're it's just almost smart. like Zach Levine. Well, he no, I he is more. He's <laughs> a what guard. he is. He averages. He's like a guard. He's a guard. There's a big okay. difference in terms of who he's defending or who he's capable of defending and what he does. Like he handles the ball like a guard. He is a guard. DeRozan okay. is more of a like DeRozan is honestly more of a wing than he is. He's like a power forward at this point. 
Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know, man. Levine's six five, takes a bunch of threes. I get I mean, we're par- parsing words. I guess what I feel is he is someone that can score from the perimeter at a high volume. That's basically what they need. Is that not they what you need somebody to- who's like much bigger <laughs> and more defensive minded. Fair enough. I mean, how big is DeRozan? DeRozan is in that same range. He more mostly plays power forward because he doesn't really defend either. Wow. I mean, I haven't seen DeRozan, I guess, this year. I still I would picture him smaller than Zach Levine, but I guess I'm well just, the uh, problem with the Bulls too is that they their team kind of weirdly rests on Lonzo Ball. Like he connects a lot of those pieces together. Yeah. And has not played at all and has this weird ongoing knee problem. And I don't know when the hell he's returning. I, he I think he might not even play this year, right? I thought I saw. Yeah, there's been some I don't every every update that comes out on him, it just seems like they can't count on him, which is a shame because despite the fact that his dad was really annoying and I thought yeah. he was overrated coming out of college, he he made a big impact on that team when he was healthy last year. So Man, Lonzo um, Ball yeah. overs, over points, over rebounds, over assists last year was a, a profitable per- better's for, dream. For, yeah, whoever whoever was smart enough to do it. Um, all right. So we've traded Toby successfully. So we've gotten that part of the Oh podcast. my God. Um, I mean, I guess the only other question I would have for you that I had the note I had from the last two games was I think we talked about it a little bit, but you think Doc's starting to save his job more? I mean, they're starting to win. I don't know. Any change? I know you think he he's pretty secure as it is, but I had that down as my final note. Any, yeah, any I mean, I I th- honestly, if you haven't fired him by now, I just don't think it's happening yeah. because I don't think there's any value in firing a coach in you know February yeah. or like their, their March schedule is ridiculous. They're probably going to have a bad run at some point during that month. You're not gonna fire a coach in March, like, yeah, like right before, before the, the playoffs. playoffs. Yeah, like the, if you don't, if he's on the sideline on New Year's Eve or on New Year's Day, 2023. There's just you at that point, you can't fire him. It's either he's the co- he's good enough now, or he's never gonna be good enough. So, to me, the, everything they've said in the trajectory they're on right now, I just can't see him getting fired. Like nobody, and that'd be an impossible job, even if. You know, Sam Cassell or one of the assistants steps into that role or you get an outside hire. It's an impossible job to step into to like, all right, we fired this guy because we don't believe he can lead them to a title. You're not firing him because they're like 18 and 12 and they need to be you know, 20 and eight or 20 and 10, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you're firing him because he's not going to win a title. Well, hey, good luck, Sam Cassell or Dave yeah, Baker or one of these guys who right are before, like, yeah. now you have the expectations to win a title when you're in Cassell's case, for example, he's never been a head coach before. Or Jaeger's case, he's never coached a team that had like those type of aspirations, really. So, so when you were talking about that situation, for some reason, it made me think of the Jeff Saturday getting the job when he was like late <laughs> in the year. Right. So this is a crazy hypothetical, but I'm just curious. What former Sixer, if you had to hire to coach the rest of the year after Doc, would you pick? Doesn't have to be it doesn't have to have coaching experience. I'm talking like obviously Allen Iverson, I'm guessing, wouldn't be your pick. But somebody like that, somebody that had no coaching experience that you would give the job to if they fired Doc from guys. you've been honest, I have I have no idea, honestly. That's a great question. Um, well, think about it for the next pod, unless you can. I mean, it. who's a, who's somebody that's generally smart that has been on the team? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, 
It was. I mean, for some reason, Willie Green keeps popping my head, obviously, because well, he's I mean, top. he's been a he's done great in New Orleans. So Kevin Ollie, but he, he, ha- he yeah. has experience. Like those are guys that have Trump, actually yeah. coached. So, um, I'm trying to think of anyone that was smart. It would have to actually... be a point guard. I feel like probably right because you're running the show. I mean, like the similar to the center. The center in football knows all the pre-snap reads, reads yeah. and coverage. I feel like it would have to be a point guard type of guy. Hmm. This is an answer even I don't think I have an the question I don't have an answer to. So maybe that makes it a bad hypothetical. Maybe uh TJ McConnell player coach. Hustle, hustle guy. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. He I, would be he's who I think a lot of people want the coach to be is just like someone who would probably scream at everybody. Yeah, someone that would have the entire game, there. but maybe not know how to run an offense or set yes. up a defense or whatever. Well, maybe uh, Joel can be their coach when he eventually is, you know, sitting out a playoff game or something. Oh, all right, enough. enough <laughs> negativity for one. Point. I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, so Pistons on Wednesday, Clippers on Friday, um, and then obviously they're they're close to the end of that that home stretch before they go to New York and Washington. What are you looking for in in, in those two games? Uh, two wins. Assuming yeah. that they get, they, assuming they get the Clippers at less than full strength, which is basically a guarantee when you play the Clippers yes. these days. Um, you also want everybody to escape those games healthy. They got to keep the relatively clean slate or bill of health for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, honestly, that Christmas game is looking better and better. The New York Knickerbockers are yeah. uh, on a roll right now, so uh, I'm sure we might talk about that either before or after. That game, I'm not sure yet. Well, but, uh, and I mean, look, Christmas Eve, Dallas Eagles. So this, something tells me the the Sixers Knicks might get second page uh, in Philly, no matter how well they do. But it's going to be an exciting two days for Philly sports, at least. Yeah, not an exciting two days for me working on Christmas Eve and working Christmas. But, uh, so you, you do what you sign up well, for, man. That's uh, a- amen, amen. So I'm actually not going to be in Dallas. Like uh, just a series of events. I'll be in um, in Charlotte with uh, my wife's family, which I'm excited for. It's just the the I'm sure you can sympathize with this. The feeling of not being at a big game and you know watching it on TV, you know, it's just it's very nerve wracking. But it's uh, I guess you won't. You be might miss the uh, Gardner Minshew game. I don't know. I know. Well, I think it is going to be the Gardner <laughs> Minshew game. So my my life could get pretty crazy if Gardner uh, goes in there and kills it. You know, nothing. Nothing this city loves more than firing Doc. The only thing is a quarterback uh, controversy. So there will be no controversy, but they do love a backup quarterback around here. Well, so. there could be some implications. I don't think it's going to be a controversy for sure, but there there could be some implications um, depending on how he does. So, but anyway, so we will have the the Sixers play on Christmas Day. We will not be recording then, I assume, but we will get you guys another pod soon, well before then, um, hopefully later this week. Uh, like I said, they have the Pistons on Wednesday, the Clippers on Friday. Hopefully another 2-0 and streak that we can uh, continue to talk about how good they are and how they should try trade their best players. So that seems to be how it uh, how it goes on this pod. But um, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? No, man. I uh, appreciate everybody tuning in, obviously. Yeah. And uh, hopefully Elliot doesn't get anybody traded between now and the next <laughs> podcast. Well, we, we need Here's what we need, Kyle. We need another five-star review because we got to get a five-star review question. We've had some good ones so far. Unfortunately, none uh, between this and the last pod. So if you're listening at this point and you leave a five-star review with a question for Kyle, I guarantee you it will get asked on the next, if not the next episode, the one after. Because sometimes it feels like it takes a while to, to upload. But leave those five-star reviews. It helps the show grow, um, helps us get further up when people search for Sixers Pod. So 
Although I guess there really is only one Sixers pod, obviously, which is which is ours. But um, yeah. So thank you. We're gonna that, poke that bear, huh? No, no, no. Trust me, I'm not poking that bear. I am. Uh, <laughs> I am. I am Team Spike and writes Ricky Sanchez uh, all day. Spike's been a very important person for me professionally. So, but um, yeah. Now I'm saying that out of fear, you know, like just making. Sure. <laughs> See, Maybe, you, yeah, exactly. You didn't have the guts to go through with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right to Ricky Sanchez. Um, all right. So anyway. This has been another good episode. Um, we'll get to you guys later in the week. Leave those five-star reviews. If you haven't already, make sure you download the Odyssey app because all of our pods come out there uh, first. You get them first, and you can listen to all the other great Odyssey apps. So thanks again for listening. Uh, for Kyle and Elliot, just clap your hands, and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Peace.